my cake. <laughs> and I'm Bill Tucker from A Gamer Looks at 40, and I can hold my breath for a long, long time. Oh, <laughs> uh, and Ken, what are we here to talk about? So this is completely, unfortunately, your idea. Oh, it's my idea, all right? It is my joy, my privilege to say that today we are talking about 1982's horror anthology, Creepshow. Oh, God, Creepshow. Put together by the holy trinity of 80s com- or 80s horror, directed by George A. Romero, written by Stephen King, makeup effects by Tom Savini. Hey, I know that guy, Tom Savini. He was on Halloween Wars cooking show that I was watching for a while. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Me. The man has but done so much for the field of horror, and he's he's an icon. Yeah, he's he, that is you you nailed it, and that's that's a holy trinity. I mean, at this era, you know, in the early '80s, that's who you want writing, directing, and doing the effects for your movie. That that's who you want. So, and uh, yeah, Tom Savini's been everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, have, you, have you ever met him? I've never met him. I've always wanted to, yeah, but I haven't yet. I don't go to a lot of cons. Okay, I was curious. Cur- yeah, I was I'm curious if he goes to cons and stuff. Yeah, but he does. Yeah, it's worth it to meet people like that. I mean, it. it I've done it multiple times now. It's worth it if you get the chance, especially if somebody you really like. It's worth it someday. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm the I'm the guy that flew across the country to meet Robert England for my wife. So hey. <laughs> I know how that goes. All right, so I had seen this once before, back in, I think, 03, 04. I was sophomore year high school. I was in a graphic class, graphic design class, and there was a guy there that I started talking with, and we ended up, he would borrow me movies. And I remember being like, oh, feel, I was like, at first I thought he was just joking when he started mentioning it, but then each day he started bringing me new movies. So I started watching movies every day, and and he was just a big movie guy. And I watched this. It didn't. I thought this movie was fine. It didn't creep me out at that point when I was like 16 and I hadn't seen it since. And then I realized, yeah, I'm much more creeped out by stuff. And when I'm 36, so <laughs> Bill, what is your history with this? Have you seen this before? No, this is actually my first time. This is actually my 100% first time. And I kind of kept that under the, under my belt a little bit because I know how much Ken loves this movie. And I know with stuff I love, it's really fun listening to people experience it for the first time. I, I just, for me, that's a fun thing. It so is. I, yeah, this is a brand new viewing. I, of course I've know of creep show and, and this movie is a classic in all, in all the, the good, in all the good ways, I think. And uh, but yeah, this was, this was a very enjoyable, uh, I'm very glad I was not on Tamiflu when watching this movie because evidently Tamiflu can really mess with your brain. I am. I currently have the flu, and Tamiflu can cause like all sorts of crazy side effects. So I'm very glad I, I am not on that medication after watching this movie. But um, yeah, we'll talk about it. But this is a uh, brand new for me. Awesome. You would have started seeing bugs everywhere. Oh. <sighs> and Ken, what is your history with this movie? My history with this movie is long and sorted. I first saw this movie at about four or five. You know, the age when you probably shouldn't. Uh, my parents were watching it on uh, the cable channel Home Box Office or HBO. I, you know, <laughs> play Citizen around anymore. But um, I snuck downstairs and caught my first glimpse of it. And this is the legitimately the first movie I have any memories of. I became obsessed, uh, literally. I 
bought the soundtrack with the money that I got from my godparents for my birthday. So I still have my 1982 Creepshow vinyl with the score on it. That's cool. Not to spoil anything for the end of the podcast, but the reason I'm so excited about this is that this is literally my favorite movie of all time. I have a Creepshow tattoo. It was my first tattoo. I sat for three hours while they inscribed Creepshow on my left bicep. I'm, I just, I love this movie. I can't talk enough about this movie. And Bill, I'm so happy to hear your thoughts about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it would be, right? It's, it's always fun. These the things that we love, you want to share those things. And I'm really excited to hear like your story. I always feel like we have to do like an, a Gamer Looks at 40, like actual episode with Ken on this. Like, okay, so let's dive into this creep show fandom. Like, let's really go into this and explore it. As, as you were on my show, but we'll, we'll, we'll skip that for now. But yeah, dude, I love the fact that this has, this is meaningful for you and wow. Four years old. That's too young. Yes, I agree. But you know what? <laughs> I don't know. You know this, what, what really I, so I'll just kind of put my thesis out real quick. This is very good. This is, this is, this is very good. I, I, I really enjoyed the, the mix of humor and horror it hit a good note for me and it, it asked, it reminded me or asked me the question, what is camp? I, mm. I, I had that in my head for a lot, for a lot last night as I was kind of mulling this over. What is camp? And I've always been of the mindset that you can't really create camp. Camp is the, is the result of good intentions gone poorly. So for example, you're famous, you're troll twos and then, and, and movies like that, that are famously known to be campy. They're not purposely bad. And they're not purposely silly. It's this weird balancing act of we went for it and we had a good time and we created something that it shows that. And I, I'm curious what y'all think about what is camp, because my first instinct is to call this like a campy classic. I don't know. I think it's slightly better. So I am posing a question with no good answers. But that was one of the first things I thought of as I was kind of finishing, finishing, finishing this up last night. I never really think about I mean, camp to me is usually just really stupid humor. I mean, I didn't consider this campy. I was just considering this 1982. I, I, I also, I mean, this didn't have a lot of humor for me. This was creepy as fuck for me. So, but then again, I don't like horror stuff. <laughs> you say that, Mike, but you spend a lot of time nowadays watching horror stuff. You, you, That's you, because you I record start... a lot with you two. <laughs> and I, my I, wife I, loves horror. So there's a different I mean, combination of things. You are slowly, surely getting your way in there. So I'm curious what you think, Ken. I, yeah. What do you think? I would absolutely agree that there are elements of camp i don't necessarily think it was intentional if that makes sense i i think the elements that are there come directly from its inspirations and this was very much inspired by like mid-50s comics from uh ec comics your vault of terror your uh tales from the crypt 100% this was inspired by those comic books. And, you know, because of my Creepshow obsession, I also started reading those comic books when I was older. And all of these elements of dark humor, of cartoonish gore, they're all present in those comic books. But the interesting thing about them is that they're also morality plays. And so are these stories. So you get your people, your, you know, bad eggs getting their comeuppance. And I, I think there's a kind of Yas Queen vibe to that happening. <laughs> so 
there is there are camp elements, but I wouldn't call this campy. Like one character says later in the movie in one of the stories, is that camp or kitsch? And another character replies, I think it's stupid. I don't think this movie is camp or kitsch entirely. It kind of falls in between to become its own thing, really. It's it's more homage than anything. And it nails. It nails the homage to the old horror comic books of EC. And I don't have a ton of experience with those old comic books. Uh, I do, my, my only real recollection of it is I used to go to a barber shop in northern New Jersey. This could be the most stereotypical thing you'll hear me say all day. Like literally <laughs> the old Italian barber, everyone would wait two hours for this guy. All the all the all the dads be sitting around reading all the sports sections of the news of all the newspapers strewn about and they're talking. Anytime you walked up, the barber knew your name and your parents' name. Hey, hey, how's your sister? She used to work with a Willie P. Hey, how's your brother? He over at Montclair State. <laughs> Magically, he knew everybody's name. It was like a magic place. I w- I'd love to do an episode somehow, somewhere about the barber shop in in Nutley, New Jersey. But anyway, and I, he always had comic books. And he always had a fresh pot of coffee. And I got a fresh pot. I just made a fresh pot of coffee. Like this, this coffee was a magical cauldron that if that, that constantly refilled itself. It was always a fresh pot of coffee for the for the adults. And he had like a little TV, and he had a stack of comic books for the kids. And some of these were some of these older. And again, I, I this is for early 80s, so I'm sure they were different varietals, and obviously wasn't EC Comics probably, but some of these kind of creep show type scary comic books, and in amongst like Archie and all sorts of other stuff like that, and I always remember sideways looking at them, like, oh, those look really scary and weird, and I don't know, I don't know if I like these, so it kind of has that vibe for me, and and visually this movie really just sings on how, how it visually takes those stylings from the comic books and and the pacing as well and how it really I think this movie is excellent paced yeah this is so that that's kind of like my only experience with the comic books was like sideways glancing at them you know at the barber shop in, in Nutley New Jersey hey at least you experienced them I mean I've never read a whore well no I've read horror comics I never read like any older stuff but I mean this also would have been before the comic code <laughs> this is one reason why we have the comic code or had it for a while so you're you're not wrong. Actually, the comic code came about due to a direct reaction to comics like Tales from the Crypt, which, you know, as we all know, went on to have a very successful series of its own. Oh, yeah. Totally. But, you know, Creepshow wasn't the first horror anthology. There have been lots of horror anthologies throughout history. Boris Karloff did one called oh, Jesus. What was that called? Black Sunday. I believe it's Italian. I think it was directed by Mario Bava. But there was a Tales from the Crypt movie that came out in the 70s from Amicus Productions over in England. Uh, This was one of the first American-made horror anthologies that made it to theatrical release. There were a lot of uh, of TV adaptations during that time. But this one actually went theatrical. And it's still one of the most successful theatrical horror anthologies ever made in America. That's cool. I can I can see why. Because this was this was interesting. I mean, you could just feel its you know inspiration from those comics all over it. I mean, hell, the whole opening of this and everything with it is all comic book. But it's like the art style and the way they do it really looks like the horror comics from those like what it's inspired by. And I, I love that. I thought that was great. I mean, Tiff who who fell asleep during this movie. Had even commented, and she's like, it's cool how they have the comic book panels, how they make it look like it's a comic book at times with the art. 
And it's not just the panels and the lighting and the colors, although that was a huge part of it. But like, even if you look at the way shots are composed, they're composed like you would see them in a comic book. You know, dramatic low angles and tilts and the the comic, the art style, the design of the comic is very present in every shot of this movie. Yeah, it's very faithful to to what those co- those comic books actually did. And again, that's a big reason why it's so successful. And and I think that even the name of the movie Creepshow perfectly encapsulates what this is trying to do, which is just be creepy, not scary, yeah. not terrifying. And it goes beyond those 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 monikers as well. But really, the main vibe here is creepy. There's a there's a delightful silliness. Like, hey, it is fun to be scared. It is fun to be you know get the heebie-jeebies. And I think in that regard, this movie is extremely successful because it is a lot of fun to just be a little weirded out. Again, nothing in this movie is terror is completely terrifying except for Ted Danson drowning. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I warned you. You I warned me on that you. one. No, nope, you I was warned like, me on that one. I was like, oh, man. Be, I was because I know you don't like drowning, so I'm like, be warned that when you get to this one, make sure you're aware yeah. of what's coming because it ain't pretty. Yeah, as soon as I saw that hole in the beach, I kind of knew what I was getting in for. I was like, oh man. But even then, it's it's not ghoulish. It's of course it's ghoulish, right? But it's it's there's a certain amount of fun and yeah, certain amount of fun that that is inherent in everything that this movie's doing. Sometimes it goes a little too far, like with the silliness. I think we'll talk about the each individual short, but sometimes it goes a little too far for my taste. But at the end of the day, I have to respect what this movie was trying to do and how successful it was as 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 successful as it is recreating the joy of those early comic books. Just that idea of this being scared can be a lot of fun. Teehee, I'm creepy. It's like it's cool. It's a really cool vibe and very youthful. It's the kind of thing we don't really climb for anymore as adults, right? It's a, it's a very youthful thing. I want to talk about how the opening never would happen nowadays, probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was watching that opening. I'm like, well, this this part didn't age very well. Like I, you know, because you just you have this father yelling at his kid because he's reading a comic, which is he's reading a horror comic, which is fine. But then the part where he he hits him in the face, and you can just see the red mark. And I'm just like, yeah, this this uh this part is kind of showing uh how people were in the '80s sometimes. Like, mm. yeah, you're right. We don't beat children anymore at all. Congratulations, everybody. Uh, we stopped to still do, abuse. but at least <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not socially accepted as it was in the '80s. That's fair. It's not as accepted as it was. And it's also um, less, I think, or at least. It's not, you're, you can't go and tell, oh, you know, you don't, you know, I mean, you still get idiots that are playing like, oh, spare the rod, spoil the child. Like, you fucking dumbasses. <laughs> it, it's less. It's it's not like yeah. it was a conscious thing that people really believe. And since you brought up the beginning, let's talk about the structure of this movie. So this movie has five main stories that are in there. And they're titled Father's Day, The Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill, Something to Tide You Over, The Crate. And they're creeping up on you. And those five stories are contained within a wraparound story, which the first half of the wraparound story is what starts the movie. And then you go into the other ones. And then the last half of the story is what closes out the movie. So super fun, super cool. And the fact that you have an uncredited Tom Atkins appearance in this makes it one of the most 80s horror things of all time period ever. So great. So good. I don't know who Tom so Atkins. good. Tom Atkins is the guy who plays the dad. He was also in okay. uh, Halloween three season of the witch. Like he's in so many horror movies. 
and he's he's a joy. He's legitimately a joy whenever I see him in anything. And the kid. Let's talk about the kid. The kid is uh, Stephen King's actual son. Oh. Joe, who would grow up to be a successful author in his own right. Joe Hill, author of many horror novels and the comic series Lock and Key. Good show, by the way, for what I watched. <laughs> that's cool. So, I didn't realize that was his, his actual son. That That's cool. That he did that. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a fun story about uh, Stephen King going with his son to McDonald's, going through the drive-through to get stuff for the crew, and his son had the handprint makeup on, and I guess the employees kind of looked at him all sorts of sideways. Oh no! And went through. <laughs> oh man, that's that funny. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, hell, in today's world, they probably would have called the police on him, but back then, yeah, you I'm would not think. sure about that. Yeah, you would think, you would hope. I mean, I you would hope. Hey, I actually had the police call on me once because me and my son, uh, he was autistic. He he was autistic. We were, and he was, I was trying to get him to go home. We were biking and he wouldn't let go of his, he just wouldn't come with me. And I'm dragging his bike. I'm trying to get with me. Somebody called the cops on us thinking I was kidnapping him. Wow. But thankfully at the time that the cop came, he had calmed down because some lady had drove by and saw us. And she said she had an autistic child or someone that she knew she could tell what was happening. So she gave him a sandwich from Arby's. And even though he had, he wasn't going to eat the sandwich. He it it relaxed him that this woman started talking to him and gave him this and gave him a bag, and then he was fine. So when the cop did finally show up, I was like, "Yes, you know, I have my ID, he's my son. Like we're just trying to go home. He's just upset." And but I mean, yeah, I, I never felt I was I never was upset. Like, hey, someone did the right thing. I mean, you saw something that didn't look right, and you're like, let's get people involved. Wow, you know, it that, just worked out that it was not that case. It was just me trying to go home. But yeah, good, yeah. So I always, I always think about that. Like, yeah, I mean, look out. I mean, you never know. You know, I, I I try to watch things, too, and I don't ever call the police on people, but I do pay attention to things that look a little iffy just to see if it's actual, like, you know, a couple arguing or something here a little bit more, you know, darker. Sure. Because yeah. you just never know people. Look out for each other. Look out for yeah. one another out there. Hey, I, I, I do Radio my simple thing. If I see somebody stuck in the snow, especially, I will help push them out because someone stopped and pushed me out once. So I will, see? I have done that a couple times. I will help push somebody out. Awesome. You wouldn't know about that down where you are now anymore, Bill. No, you know. that is about what's snow. <laughs> so it's it's, uh, it's 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 been very chilly. It's very chilly, fifty five degrees for the last uh, for Christmas. It's been very oh. very very chilly. Yeah, I know. I put a little, like light sweater on, you know, and I go outside. So it's <laughs> it's, it's it's a mite inconvenient. Uh, eat pant. It is thirty degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> up here. Yeah, it's 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 cold. Uh no, I don't. I, I I you know just a light little light sweater is fine. <laughs> but if you guys do get below freezing, the whole world ends down there. So yes, it's the it's the apocalypse. That's that's it. That that that's it's the end of it's the end of everything. If it gets below freezing, we we all just turn into the thing, and we just we just we just run away from Ice Station Zero. Oh, when you guys had that blizzard a few years ago, I worked at FedEx. I had. I know up here we were also sold out of parts because people were sending parts down there, down to Texas for people. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because everything was breaking. Everything broke. Every, every everything broke. Everything froze and shattered. The outside, not underground like ours. Yeah, everything's outside. Because why would you bother? <laughs> so, I, what do you guys think of the first short in this? This is the one that I felt was. If we're gonna go with camp, this was the one that was probably the most campy of the set. This is also my least favorite <laughs> and funniest of the set. Well, maybe I maybe I shouldn't say least favorite. It didn't, it didn't creep me out. I should say as the rest. Of, I actually laughed a whole bunch at this one at Father's Day. To be fair, there is a lot funny about this one. <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> oh man. So yes, the first short is called Father's Day. There's just a a well-to-do family being very hoity-toity. And it's Father's Day, and they're celebrating. There was 
a murder that allowed them to have lots of money and live like kings. But this particular Father's Day, Daddy's come back for revenge. (laughs) From the grave. (laughs) It's just so... Odd too, like it talks about this aunt is showing up and that how she murdered him seven years ago. Yeah. With an ashtray. <laughs> Which is also very 80s. It is very 80s. But fun fact about that ashtray. Did you see it in every other story? I did not. I didn't pay attention to it. Yeah. Is it is it in is it in every single one? The ashtray is featured visually in every other story in this so movie. So good. I love it. I love it. That's I love cool. That. I didn't notice it, but yep. now I'm just a fun little game that love we it. play. Absolutely I didn't even realize that, like, because I'm rewatching the movie right now as we're talking, I have it play in the background, and I didn't even realize that they that they even show the ashtray before you see her murder. Like, hey, she killed him with this ashtray, and they pick it up. Yep. Oh, yeah. They. I want a reproduction of that <laughs> ashtray so bad. We can make that happen before we can. I think. I think we can. We can. We can find a uh, a, an artist on Etsy or somebody to to uh, to make make that happen for you. There's a lot of them out there. Believe it or not, there are a lot of different people who do reproductions of this one. I want you know the one that's made out of stone with the pewter chair on it. Like I want the expensive one. Yeah. And there's only one company that I know that makes them, and right now they're not making them. But as soon as they do another run, I'm going to try to get in on it. <laughs> so good. I, love well, it. I get it. Hey, this is one of your favorite movies of all time. Like that makes perfect sense. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. As a creep show fanatic, I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm I would call myself a super fan, except I know super fans. Uh, shout out to the creep show fanatics Facebook group of which I am a part. You guys are awesome. <laughs> but, An active member of. Nice. They are super fans. Like they have prop reproductions and, you know, entire like tableaus from this movie. They have screen used props. Like I don't have that much money. Yeah. Like I can I can do a four hour TED talk about this movie. Do not test me. I will. <laughs> <do that. laughs> But they're they're the real super fans. I am just an extreme appreciator. And oh gosh, gosh, I just love this. Ed this Harris was, shows up in this one. Ed Harris showing up in this I, one. That's a pro- and he has hair. Yeah. Yep. Great. And, he, so, and he's got some he's got some moves. He does. Disco dancing Ed Harris with hair. Future Oscar winner Ed Harris is in 1982's creep show Disco Dancing. And a big part of that is in he had just shot a movie called Night Riders with George Romero. Night oh. Riders is basically Ren Fair reenactors that instead of horses, they have motorcycles. It sounds dumb. It's a wonderful movie. It's fun. But Ed Harris was the lead in that one and came on to this one as well. That's cool. I mean, probably was just only a, you know, not that, you know, he just in the one short, so not a whole lot of filming. Yeah, like he's, well, even then, like back then he wasn't Ed Harris. Yeah, no, I yeah. wasn't famous yet. He was just, he was Ed Harris. He was a cool guy that did a movie about medieval times people on motorcycles. And then he came back to do this and then blew up and act like he don't know nobody. <laughs> <laughs> what I think, also I think Father's Day does very well. And it, it what it does, it creates this vibe of unsettling. Yeah, and every, nothing is quite what it seems. The family is unsettling. They're you know gleefully, evilly chatting about the murder of the father, and and I think the reveal of the and I, I love creature feature makeup and a creature feature effects. I there's something 
beautiful about the entire art form. Of course, Tom Savini is a legend at it. But boy, I, that 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 monster that comes out of there, the ghoul, the father, <laughs> is such an incredible model. And it is an incredible effect. And I, I, again, you can look at it in 4K and be like, oh, of course. But but given the setup and the filmmaking, you're totally in. I, I was totally in that moment believing, choosing to believe that this monster was uh, emerging from the grave wanting his cake. And that's such a Stephen King thing, too. Such, yeah, such Stephen King. Not cornball. Stephen King's a corny dude when he's, when he's not a corny dude. <laughs> but I don't know. Just something about the whole that whole presentation was a great mix of exceptional creature feature makeup and design and this silly, campy uh, setup. I want my cake like that's and that's chilling. And that's what Stephen King does really well, too, in his in his short stories, especially is that chilling. It wouldn't work if it was a short or something, you know? Yeah, like it's there's a, a good amount of joy and fun in the perversity in this story. Like, even though you hear that, you know, this guy, you know, Nathan Grantham is an absolute bastard. Oh, he God, yes. Paid to have his daughter's fiance murdered because they were about to get married. He didn't want to have her taken away. And he's just he made his money very nefariously bootlegging all sorts of bad things and he is a bad bad man and finally pushed his daughter too far and she hit him in the head with an ashtray and killed him on father's day on father's day <laughs> i just i love that scene of him begging the the king going i want my cake bang bang because as a guy who's worked in um senior oh, living sure. community i can see that happening <laughs> and bedelia was already kind of a little unstable going into it. They make reference to that, that she never was the most, you know, stable cake in the oven. <laughs> but um, that, you know, once her father had her fiance killed and compounded with the old bastard beating his cane on his chair, demanding his father's day cake, it just became too much. And her niece that we meet, uh, What's her name? Sylvia? Sylvia helped cover it all up. Oh, it was a fall. And because of that, the family split the money, split all the money. They're all very stupid rich now. And, oh, God, it's just it's so nice to see shitty people get comeuppance. Yeah, it's, it really is. It really is. It's it, it really is. And it is. And again, and also what I, I think works really well in here, too, is it's. It's kind of like when we talked about Violent Night, where it's characters, not characters, but that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because it's in the setup for this, it allows us just to have a lot of fun watching these people get dispatched one by one. And that final shot. And and by the way, and you also mentioned this too when you, early on, how this movie isn't all just jokes and horror. It does approach some serious stuff too. The, the, the image of Bedelia grieving, kind of, sort of. Like having those long moments at the graveside where she's talking to her father and going through kind of what happened, kind of recapping a bit and having those emotions as heightened as they are still is seeped in something very real. And I remember watching like, oh, wow, this movie's taking its time to really dwell on this a bit and kind of have some gravity to it. It wasn't all just silly goofiness, even though, again, it is it is couched in those trappings for lack of a better term uh so i thought it was i, I thought she was great i think all the i think all the performances in this are really good 
Yeah, they are. Maybe except for Stephen King, as we'll talk about. You're <laughs> <laughs> right, little... not an actor. But... I know, I know. He's fine. It's uh... fine. I forgive. But uh, yeah, this it's a. I think it's a good open. I I like Father's Day a lot. It's just that weird campfire, creepy. Remind me of a campfire story. It's one of those weird campfire stories. My my son is involved in Scouts now, and we went to a camping trip, and they were t- telling stories around the fire and. They're not allowed to tell the kind of stories I told when I was around the campfire. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that anymore. You're really not. They're not allowed to do the, the skits and all this. There's If it's making fun of somebody, they don't do it. You know, it's all we ever did in Boy Scouts was make fun of each other. But which is good. I'd rather kindness win out. It's a, it's a good thing. But I remember some of the kids try to tell like a spooky story. And I'm like, you guys are not good at this. And like next time I show up, I'm going to have a real startler for you guys. Just wait. I'm going to have one. I'm going, I'm going to purposely try to make it so none of you sleep tonight. So uh, <laughs> it was really uh, it was a missed opportunity, too, because we were camping right by an abandoned church, like an old abandoned church from the 1800s. That oh, literally looked like I was it was so cool. I'll send you guys a picture of the I took a picture of it. It was really cool. Uh, but uh, so missed opportunity that the kids they're Cub Scouts. Are, they don't they're not. They don't know narrative drive. But uh, <laughs> I've I resolved like, oh, next time we do one of these campouts, I am going to come with some fire. And we're going to terrify children and make it so <laughs> nobody can sleep. Terrify children. Yes. Because it's fun. Because it's fun. It's it's fun to be scared in, in those situations. It's fun to be put outside of your element. It is. And that's part of what works here is that this movie is so fun. Like, it's it's a legitimate joy. Even the ending for Father's Day. When, you know, zombie Grantham finally does get his cake, his cake, of course, being the ripped off head of Aunt Sylvia with frosting all over it. You're not upset. You're not, you know, terribly scared. It's a little bit of a jump scare with, you know, a sound stinger, but it's it's presented cartoonishly. Like even even beheaded baked good is (laughs) not necessarily scary like even though it happens it's not terrifying because it's presented cartoonishly yeah so it doesn't come off really yeah and it, it really works out well no, i i i just father's day is was the only one that was really like it was funny to me like you did and these people just seem like complete garbage people so you're not upset when they get when they get killed and that's something you know? that tales from the crypt did a lot too okay i i don't know if you can believe this but i've never seen tales of the crypt well like the the old comics, the old, uh, well, the show, I remember the show was on yeah, TV, the show the too. Like tales from the crypt was basically shitty people being punished for being shitty. I just, it wasn't my thing. So I didn't, I never really watched it or ever watched it. I don't know, but no, I, I, like I thought, you know, Ed Harris gets crushed by the tombstone because he, he goes to have a drink of the, of the random liquor. He just finds in the graveyard and goes, huh, I'll have a drink. Then he falls. Like, yeah. Like, I want to talk to you about that, too, because something's been bugging me ever since I've seen this movie, and it's just gotten worse and worse as time goes on. What is that? Is that zombie ghoul Jedi? Oh, I was wondering the same thing, like, why it falls, because it shouldn't fall from gravity, and I thought he was originally behind it. He's not. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got his arms out, so, like, is he doing some force shit and pulling that headstone onto Ed Harris? I mean, I got nothing. But yeah, it, it, it's a little odd. It's the one thing that's, well, again, like, why are we, you know, <laughs> you're, we're, I mean, I know I was thinking the same thing and Tiff said the same thing because she was still awake for this one. <sighs> it just, it just, they wanted that effect and they didn't care if it made sense or not. I'm not mad at it. 
because, you know, it, it set up a no-win situation for Ed Harris. If you move, you know, you're going to miss the gravestone, but that thing's probably going to fuck you up. Yeah. If you try to avoid the shambling zombie in front of you, you're probably going to get crushed. It's a no-win situation. And Hank didn't really deserve it. No. He was the because he was just married to the to one of the family members. He was just there, you know. Yeah. It was his first time meeting the family. And oh gosh, you kind of got a feel for him a little, but you know, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It made for a good scene, nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. And the way that they <laughs> when he's like, I got my cake, and then it ends it with a comic book panel, like where everything's a drawing. That was I I love how Great. it ends each short. Yeah, it starts and ends every short with going from, you know comic book art transitioning into the live version of the shot and i I just i love that you don't get that enough anymore the whole movie's presented as a comic book yeah but comics would have been more relevant well i mean comics are very relevant now but i feel like you would they wouldn't they were more willing to do something like that in the 80s it would have been more accepted than it would be now well i don't i don't think that anybody had done a movie with these style of like scene transitions and like this particular like slavish devotion to the comic book visual style before or really after honestly creep show three tried they tried a lot of things in creep show three that's all it came out 2006 yeah seems late (laughs) yeah there's a whole story there that i'm not going to go into but the fans were not happy with creep show three uh, we'll just believe it. At okay, that. I can believe that. I mean, I can <laughs> definitely see when you're trying to revisit something from, you know, you're, it doesn't feel like you're trying to pay homage. It doesn't feel like you're just trying to cash in. Yeah. So, and I'm assuming I thought like I was trying to cash in. So that brings us to our, our second short. My least favorite. I think the dumbest one of the, of the five. Yeah. This is the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill starring uh, author Stephen King as the titular character, Jordy Verrill, a, Gosh, he's a farmer. He's trying. <laughs> he's trying to make I, a go of it. I would say dim-witted, maybe would yeah. be dim-witted. The, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's he is very much the main, like from the state of Maine, son of the soil. Yeah, salt of the <laughs> earth. You know, he's trying to make a go of it, and he just doesn't have great luck in life. Just doesn't have good luck. Just can't spell can't spell luck without B A D. I think is what he, is the is the is the quote or something yeah. along those lines. Yep, yeah, spell that kind of viral luck. B A D. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is Stephen King just having an absolute blast? Oh in my performance! God, he yeah, is just, it's is. so campy, <laughs> so just stupid, but it worked. Oh I my would, God, this is not a kosher performance because that is one hundred percent ham. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, it is. But again, this is probably my. I what I love about the 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 second feature or the second short is it's such a simple premise, and Stephen King has always been exceptional at that. And that's actually what works in the campfire story: simple premises that are creepy, delivered the right way, makes for a really fun campfire story. And that's what this is. And this is a very you know what's going to happen. From the minute you see those the grass start growing, and it's sold off the fact of excellent pacing. I think of all the feet of all of them. I think all the movies, all the thing, eh, of all the shorts are well paced. This might be my favorite as far as pacing goes because it does so much with such a small premise, and it yeah. really relies on leading you through it, and also having this just 
very, very entertaining, if not tragic, lead character undergoing this uh, situation. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Very when you tragic. Get, when you get little boils on tips of your fingers, don't just suck on them obsessively. <laughs> don't do that. That's not a good thing. Uh, well, he does it immediately from the time he burns himself. When he touches the media, he puts his hand in his mouth, and I'm thinking, oh, you're fucked. Like, right then and there, like, you just, whatever, you know, <laughs> you just put it inside your body, whatever the hell, you know, is on this, is came from outer space. Like, yeah. So he has a meteor crash land in his yard and immediately starts thinking of what he can do to get, you know, wh- how can I make this work for me? It's like the, I think you should leave me, you know, oh, how can I make money off of this? Because I really want to. Because, like, he has an intact meteor in his yard. Yeah, that's a big thing. And he just wants to sell it to the college. So he's got to cool the bitch off. And luckily, his neighboring institution of learning has a meteor department and an actual department where they do nothing but meteors. Yep. They only want the whole ones. They don't want a half meteor. And again, these performances are so fun and out there and outlandish and just gleefully, joyfully bizarre. Oh, God. Like... Big shout out to the, oh God, there's like, okay, Jordy Barrel is the only character here, but he fantasizes about other characters and his interactions with them are just absolute joy. Uh, you got uh, Bingo O'Malley playing, oh gosh, I want to say he played both the doctor and his father. Yep. Needed. Yep. Uh, father and doctor. The same yep. actor played everybody. Uh, because he played the professor, too. Yeah, he played the uh, the head of the Department of Meteors. <laughs> I love that um, so much. He played the uh, doctor that uh, Jordy starts worrying about and starts imagining, oh, I got to go to a doctor to get this taken care of. And, oh, just bl- gleeful malevolence all the way. <laughs> you know, Bingo O'Malley, what up? You brought like it. like when he pulls off the, the big butcher's knife. He's like, oh, to cut the fingers off. Except looking at it, you just cut the whole hand off because it's on the it's on the palm of the hand too. So yeah, uh. <laughs> but things start sprouting on Jordy. He gets some of the liquid that was inside the meteor on him, affectionately called meteor shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did find that funny too. And he just starts sprouting, start like just plant matter starts sprouting from his fingertips and everywhere that he's touched with this liquid. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. It's kind of sad, too, because this is a character that you that you feel bad for because there's no reason to, you know, not like him, really. Like, yeah, like, not, like in Father's Day, they're all shitty people. And it doesn't upset you when they get their, you know, they get killed. Jordy's crime was curiosity and not knowing better. And that's yeah. just, I don't, I don't feel good about it. But it was still a very interesting story. And the, the dark turn it takes, I mean, obviously dark turn, but the turn where he actually has to, to commit suicide in order to free himself of it, that is a oh. that is a very, very effective bit of real horror, like real praying to God, God, please let my luck change just this once. Ugh, that is a very uh, scary and effective way to close it. It's It definitely does like a 180 tonally when it, when it gets to that point. Uh, well, it's oh, effective. Yeah. I mean, he, where he yeah he takes the bath and then he has the vision of his father saying, "Don't get in that water." And then the next scene you see of him the next day is him completely covered in moss because water makes this moss grow and cover everything. 
it, it's it's hard. I did not remember that part when he grabs the shotgun. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and he just takes his own life. I'm like, I was not expecting that. Yeah, <laughs> it is probably one of the darkest stories, like the endings, really. Yeah. Ugh. Well, yeah. and they're all fucked. The whole world is done because of oh, this yeah. meteor. Because they even say, oh, we're going to get a whole bunch of rain the next few days. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you Castle see County how water turns so green overnight. <laughs> yeah, like they're all screwed. Oh, so what did he mix? He, at one point, he grabs vodka. What did he pour that into? It looked like milk. And I was like, what the fuck? Nope, that was a pitcher of orange juice. Oh, orange juice. Okay. My boy made a screwdriver. That makes sense. I was going to say, why the hell are you pouring it in milk? But all right. The one thing that really bummed me out, though, was that he's, you know, sitting in his easy chair watching old school wrestling, which (laughs) was just, oh, God, watching Bob Backlund versus the Samoas. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, that took me back. It was awesome. (laughs) But he was drinking a bottle of Ripple. Ripple was Fred Sanford's favorite booze from Sanford and Son. And I've always wanted to try Ripple, like even as a young child. (laughs) <laughs> like i was like i really want to try that but i've never been able to try ripple and they don't make it anymore i don't think but ah, it's just it's always going to be one of those <laughs> i missed my chance they do not <laughs> make it anymore it is not a uh i don't believe they make it anymore it's a it's fortified wine yeah it's basically mad dog 2020 yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly right stuff. never yeah, drink but it but i remember it it's not the same <sighs> but they, they did a good job on just on, on the on the special effects of him just having more and more moss every time you see him. Like they did a really good job on that. Yeah. And, you know, I know Stephen King gets a lot of crap for his acting in this, but I think he kind of nailed the performance. I think without Stephen King, you don't get this level of sympathy with Shorty. So I feel like nobody else could. Oh, God. Could approach the line of simple Jack, but not step over it. Yeah. See. <laughs> I'm not yes. going to say the full line. No, no, we're not going to say the full line. <laughs> but like, he's just shy of mentally disadvantaged. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. he's just this lo- this side of the line. And oh gosh, he just, you feel bad for him. And his way of just evoking the lines and bringing out the damn it. I'm just, I just want something good to change in my life. Like he pulls that off so well. He just needs a break. And, and yeah. this is not the break that he wanted, <laughs> but uh, it's the break he got the break he got. And, uh, it's, 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 it's a good, it's, it reminds me of good Stephen King, short stories, good Stephen yeah. King, short stories. He does this great when he takes this, a simple premise and extends it out and actually creates some characters you can care about. And, and kind of feel for it's it's yeah this is a good Stephen King short story it is a good Stephen King short story this was actually based on the Stephen King short story weeds uh that was published in a literary magazine back in the 70s so you were right it is a good Stephen King short yay story. <laughs> never read the story uh but yeah the story's actually pretty good um there was a fun little shout out at the end I don't know if you saw but Jordy Vero lives right outside of Castle Rock yep no yep yep and uh, for Stephen King's fans, well, this is just one more way that Castle Rock got screwed. <laughs> What's Castle Rock from? A lot of different stories. Oh, okay. <laughs> Castle Rock is where Needful Things takes place. God, what else? Dead Zone had flirtations with Castle Rock. Cujo, I think, just happened outside of Castle Rock. Was Under like, the Dome Castle Rock as well? 
I don't remember. I haven't read Under the Dome in a long time, but like Stephen King has it in for two particular towns, Castle Rock and Derry. <laughs> I know Derry. Yeah. Everybody knows Derry. But Castle Rock also had that Hulu show. Is it in? Two series of uh, Castle Rock. Good show, actually. But yeah, this uh, the the tragedy was the second story. And I think after the joy of Father's Day, it, it's a good it's a good downshift. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Oh, this this one was hard for me. What's it? <laughs> it's the t- is that great? Is, what's it called again? Something to tide. Something to tide you over. Oh, <laughs> what a pun! What a pun! Fun fact, in the original script, this was supposed to be the fourth story, not the third story. But uh, during, after some feedback from test audiences, they swapped this and the crate. Oh, okay. I get that. Yeah. In in the the comic book, this is actually the fourth story. So That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. This one's hard. So this one, as as actors, you might recognize Ted, well, Ted Danson, Leslie Nielsen, and Leslie Nielsen playing a serious role. Oh, not even just serious. He's a bastard. Oh, God, yes. Not great. Love him. And I have never been more proud to share my birthday with the man as I was when I saw him in this. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, Leslie Nielsen, born February 11th. Big fan. Big fan. Very nice. (laughs) Uh, This one just, this is, I don't know, this one is really dark to me, too. Oh, it is extremely dark. Yeah, this this is probably one of the ones. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ken. You can do do the uh, description. I was just going to drop a little thing here. Uh, Ted Danson plays Harry Wentworth, a tennis pro who's fallen in love with one of his students, Rebecca Vickers. Unfortunately, Rebecca's current husband, Harry, does not like that and takes Harry on a little trip to the beach. <laughs> a beach, a, sh- a seashore excursion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I This one really creeped me out. For obvious reasons, I've said in the show a million times, uh, water is a, the idea of drowning is very scary to me. I, it's got to be the worst way to go. All of a sudden you have oxygen and then you're breathing water. That can't be good. No, thank you. So <laughs> I, this one is, it also is definitely for me, probably the scariest of the five because it's just somebody playing with their food. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's Leslie Nielsen just kind of very slowly and evilly you know, really putting the screws into Ted Danson and it it just seems whenever it's people being victimized in horror, it's, it hits in a different place for me than just, you know, the usual trappings of a horror movie. So for me, this was definitely the most unsettling of the five by a long, by a long margin. And that's entirely fair. I mean, a big part of this is it's watching Richard Vickers, uh, Liz Nielsen's character, just toy. With both his soon-to-be ex-wife and uh, her current flame, we'll say. <laughs> it's just... So, Richard takes uh, Richard takes Harry to the beach. And they take a walk on the sand. And there's a, a mound, a mound of sand. And Richard is basically to, intimated to Harry that, Oh, maybe I buried your lady love there. So, nope, there's a hole. <sighs> And then Harry has to get in the hole and be buried up to his neck if he wants to see Rebecca again. Richard, of course, has a gun. You know what? I would take the bullet first. Right? Absolutely. I would just be like, you know what? Shoot me and kill me. We ain't, we ain't go. I'd rather go quick than go the any. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yep. Absolutely. I would. There's no way. 
I the whole reason the whole... why he convinces him to go to the beach anyway is that he plays a tape of the woman in, in, in peril, and that gets him to come. And he also kind of believes him that he doesn't think he's actually going to murder him. He thinks, okay, he's going to put me in the hole, or he's trying to prove something, and then we can leave. He doesn't, I don't think he completely believes what's coming. No, no, he's definitely not ready for it. <laughs> and, oh, once he's buried up to his neck in sand, Richard produces a TV and plays a videotape, a VHS recording. Oh, wait, no, at this point, it's live. Yeah, it's, it's supposed live to be live. The live feed, yes. yeah. Yes, a live feed of Rebecca buried down the beach slightly lower or below, slightly more below the tideline, who is the same thing, but now has waves lapping at her face. Ah, no, like this at all. I and may I say also, too, I do really like the setup of Leslie Nielsen as the ultimate villain because he is the guy that comes over your house and gives you unwanted tech advice. <laughs> And I, I I know this because I was that person. I've been that person in my past. I'm I'm I'm, afra- I'm not afraid to say we were, we all grow as people. Yes. Wow, really. you these these uh these cables really should tighten these up. You're not getting the best signal quality out of your. Pay- I guarantee you, I've I have fiddled with other people's equipment and gear in their home. Wow, really? You're not uh really you're not using shielded cables this day and age. I mean, I don't know. So yes, that mm-hmm. that is the ultimate villain, Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> fiddling with your. With your electronic well, I was just thinking when I rewatched this, when he, when Ted Danson has a shovel, he has a moment where it's like, you know what? You could maybe disarm her. You might take the bullet, but you know, it's better than what's coming. But he didn't know. No, I, he didn't believe he's actually, he thought it was just like, you know, he just wants, he's not going to actually murder us. Right. Nobody is that nuts. <laughs> womp, 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 womp. <sighs> I think he the thinks he's just trying to prove a point. Oh, gosh. Well, he so, even tells him all I want to do is incapacitate, you know, knock you out, and then you can go see Becky. Yeah. It's completely, you know, a lie, but. <laughs> is it, though? Well, I mean, is it? he wants death, not. <laughs> he gets what he was promised. <sighs> yeah, just not the way he was expecting. And, like, Leslie Nielsen, the real, the big thing that is so disturbing about his character is how much fun he's having. He's laughing. He's, you know, chuckling doing you know one-liners he's having a ball just he absolutely is yeah destroying lives of two people because somebody tried to take what was his what a shithead gosh i hope something <laughs> bad happens to him and he sure does and again it's a rich guy being an asshole because like you see this guy owns a freaking beach he has a you know cameras everywhere and this is the 80s so it would have been more expensive like he has money yeah He's he's got money with a capital M. And uh, God, after he buries Harry, he drives back to his house and watches them both on his wall of TVs that's hidden behind his fancy motorized painting. Love that so much. I want I want one of those. I oh my super God. want one. <laughs> like I'm I'm gonna be honest. Richard's house is straight up like I would take everything there that you know fireplace that's open on all sides the you know weird asian fusion design like i'll take all of it it all speaks to me it's a great house (laughs) love it it's a really good one it is a high quality house for sure but in his last words before being consumed by the sea harry says i'm gonna get you richard to which richard says you just gotta hold your breath so good so good which is why 
which is why I led with that because it's, it's it's like one of the creepier lines in this movie. It's that it's got a whole I can hold my breath for a long time. Like it's just yeah, it's the whole idea. And evidently, when Tom when Ted Danson did the effect, it, they asked him, you know, how was that effect for the the drowning? Evidently, they put him in a tank and then literally covered his head with water and gave him a respirator to breathe out of, removed it, and then you know started rolling the camera. No way. Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. 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 That is. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah. But, I mean, and also the think about like out. even though his wife wanted to leave him, like his solution was we're going to you know murder her like this. Like it's just mm, so fucking. It's a lot. <laughs> also, like, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the wife in the series, Becky Vickers, played by Galen Ross, probably you know best known to horror fans from her starring role in Dawn of the Dead. Very good. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Okay. Right on. Nice. Good movie. Yep. Also, a very prolific um, artist filmmaker herself, but fantastic work being done on all sides. You buy that she is completely terrified of what her husband has done to her uh you buy that she just wants harry to save her yeah that that's really it she just wants she just wants to be saved and uh it's chilling and again the whole the whole setup is very chilling and and scary and very very effective and leslie nielsen is such a good actor like he's just a genuinely excellent actor we all forget how good he is in in roles like he he is exceptionally good in this in this uh in this uh vignette this was uh, just after Airplane, but just before he got the job on the Police Squad show that uh-huh. turned into the Naked Gun movies. Right. Okay. Yep. See, I always know him as a comedy actor, so yep. and that's probably why. But like before that, he had done things like the Poseidon Adventure, where he also plays a shithead. Plays a good <laughs> shithead. He that's does sure. play a real good asshole. So the uh, the next one, I think, unless you have more on. I'm sorry. Do you have more on? Oh. The, we haven't even covered the end. Oh, do you oh. want to talk about the ending? Yeah, let's talk about it. Yes, let's talk about <laughs> uh, it. We have to. God. So after they after they drown, he kills both of them. He goes home and he's taking a shower and then he hears something, you know, his door moving or the, the door not moving. And they, they the two just waterlogged zombies come in the house. Again, great and effects. Great, great effects. Great effects. Like they, they legitimately look like they've been underwater for a century, (laughs) (laughs) not just a day. And the nice thing is it really is Galen Ross and Ted Danson in that makeup. So good. Like you can tell you get some body language and the voices, the voices sound like they're just bubbling up through a throat that's filled with just seawater. This was hard. Oh God. It's, it's so effective. Like, also, would you be able to get out of sand at that point, even if it was all wet? Like, I think you're screwed no matter what. Depending on how much sand, I think with that much sand, you're probably pretty screwed. Okay. Like, I don't think you ha- like. He makes it seem like, oh, if you hold your breath long enough, you'll be able to. It. Like, no, you're not. Like, you're you're dead no. no matter what. You're just dying very slowly and and torturous instead of making it quick. Yeah. Because he wants them to suffer for cheating on him. Has anyone here ever been buried in sand? Like, nope. not like this, but at the <laughs> beach, yeah? At the beach, yeah. Like, at the beach, you ever go and, like, get buried up to your neck in sand? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, Hell you're no. laying flat on the ground. Nobody puts you in a hole, but... No, but I, I've been in situations... Well, I've, I've never personally, but we used to do that with, like, our cousins and such. We'd go down to Jersey Shore, and we would dig a big old hole, and they would sit in the hole, and we would bury them up to their neck in sand. 
and we'd all have a hearty laugh. And you cannot escape that. That's you. There's you stands is heavy. It's, it's not it's uh, if you get enough of that in there, especially since he was standing upright doing it. Like, that's a lot of weight. On well, he's not on his knees. Was he on his knees? Yeah, yeah he, he made was on, on his knees. knees and that's right. even worse because yeah. you don't have the leverage. You have no leverage. Yes, that's right. Because I was thinking as as, you know, Nelson Nielsen was evilly speaking to him. Like, so if you were start to like wriggle, like make small movements in that sand, you might be able to loosen it. It didn't seem too, too packed. Once it got wet, forget it. You're, that's that's it. Once it's wet, it's cement. You're literally yeah, now. He makes it act like once it gets wet, you'll eventually be able to break free. No, that's the that's the exact opposite. I think how that's supposed to work. Uh, Leslie Nielsen. That's not that's no, mm-hmm. that's the that's the trick. I, th- I don't think you can. That's the uh, telling you something so that you have a slight sliver of hope. Before the ocean takes it away, yep. because I want to watch you suffer even more. Yeah, it's just, just salt foolish. water just tastes, you know, salty and terrible. And here you are just, ah, no salt thing. water dries you out because it's salt water and it's just all, it's a horrible way to go. Yeah. I can't imagine. Uh, I, I feel like I, there's no way I would have gotten that hole. I'd been like, you know what? I'll take the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I would just started running something, yeah. something, but Harry and Becky take Richard to the beach. <laughs> and they give him the same treatment, buried up to his neck in the sand. And Richard has lost his mind by this point. Yep. Well, I mean, seeing your people <laughs> you just murdered come back and grab you probably doesn't help the situation. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It, it's not great. But he's, his last words are, I can hold my breath for a long time. And the water starts creeping in on him. End story. Perfect way to end the story. Perfect. Oh, so fucking creepy. I was unset. I actually took. A- I was unsettled after this one. I was like, "Do I? I might take a break." <laughs> That's why I warned Bill before we started record. Before he watched it, I'm like, "Because I know Bill doesn't like drowning. The idea of drowning." So, nope. I was right. like, "Yeah, this is this is up there." Well, fortunately, we're going to get out of drowning and into something much more terrifying. Let's talk about academia with uh, the crate. I like this one. Uh This is just a great story. Quick plot rundown. A long-suffering professor is burdened with a troubling discovery underneath the stairs, and in it lies quite possibly the answer to most of his problems. That's a quick and dirty rundown. (laughs) Perfectly said, sir. Perfectly said. Oh, like, let's, I think first off, we got to talk about the cast for this one. Oh, geez. Yeah. I only recognize one guy, and I don't know his name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's so many great people, though. Like, you got Hal Holbrook as Henry. And Hal Holbrook is just veteran of stage and screen. He played Mark Twain on stage for so long that he's it's almost impossible to imagine him being somebody else. If you ever have a chance, see his work as Mark Twain. It's great. Um, he played Deep Throat and All the President's Men. He is a distinguished um, dramatic actor. And here he's a distinguished English professor. You got uh, Adrian Barbo, who I do believe was split from John Carpenter by this point, but I'm not entirely sure. But she's also a you know veteran of horror films herself, cr- quite the screen queen uh, from her appearance in uh, Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, John Carpenter's The Fog, and this. And just a bunch of other great people. You got Fritz Weaver as uh, Henry's other professor friend, Dexter Stanley. Gosh, like Robert Harper is a grad student. He went on to do some great dramatic work as well. 
specifically like, you know, Once Upon a Time in America, War of the Roses. Uh, oh, what's his name? Don Kiefer playing Mike the Janitor. Oh, yeah. Like, that dude, Death of a Salesman, Butch Cassidy, Twilight Zone. Wasn't like, Adrian Barbeau in um, Escape from New York? Yes, Adrian Barbeau was in Escape from New York. Ah, see? But like this, this is probably, I think, the most densely, densely packed as far as talent goes. Yeah, totally. Like big names, one story. Yeah, and then on all doing really good work, I think I, Barbeau is is so fun in, in the role of Barbie. Was that right? Am I saying that right? Is it Barbie? Billy, Billy rather. Yes, Billy. Yeah. And uh, in the role of Billy as the as the annoying and actually the most fun person at the party. Let's be honest. Like we we all kind of want to be hanging out with Billy. Oh, Billy's party. got tea. I oh. didn't like Billy at all in this. <laughs> <laughs> she but, but but at the party of a bunch of stuffy intellectual types. The square root of pi is square root of pi. Oh, yes, she, she's I out there. love academics. I have books. I am learned. Everything I own is made of mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. She's like, hey, let's get hammered. All the booze is free. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, she was just a nut. Wouldn't yeah. want to be married to, uh, married to her, but she's definitely be a fun hang at a party. Like, hey. And well, she's just so mean to her husband. Like all the oh. time, she's just cutting him down, and yeah, like it does a good, good lead up to what's coming. Oh yeah. Oh, and her husband is Henry. Henry is played by Hal Holbrook. Like he's an English professor, but he's not really great at departmental politics. <laughs> he's not really great at like standing up to her. He just kind of takes everything, and it sets up like a really interesting Walter Mitty esque dream world that he lives in where he kills her a couple times just has these fantasies about killing his wife because she's the worst yeah happens (laughs) 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 i i i can i can totally i can totally see it she is she is tough she's a challenging person to be around yep very very challenging person uh we can we can put it that way but uh she's just (sighs) She's just too much. She's just not just a horrible person. Like in that case for him. Very, very mean. Yeah. But, uh, Henry's friend, Dex, Dexter Stanley, uh, played by Fritz Weaver, uh, gets a call from a grad student. Well, from a janitor who found something underneath the stairs. It's a box, a box from, Oh gosh. Anybody remember the year? 1836 or something. 18 something. Close, I think. I want to say it was 1845. I don't remember, but I just know it's 1800. Either way, it was directed. It was addressed to uh, Julia Carpenter. Uh-huh. Ah! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was actually a nod to John, but it was from an Arctic expedition. And this has been sealed up and just it's been there for 147 years. 1834. 1834 okay. was the year. I was close. But um, you know, I, I, it does a good job of them, you know, them of bringing up the suspense, like what's in this box. And like, oh, nothing could be alive. And like, oh, just magazines and, you know, bullshit like that. And, you know, it, it's not what you think ever. Yeah. It, they were like, oh, it's probably just some old stuff. And the box is heavy and something shifts in the box while they're putting it up on the table to open it up. Oh, boy. So Dex and Mike, the janitor, start prying the nails out. And props to the production design. They used history-accurate nails. Did they really? I, yeah. They, yeah. I, as a guy who watched way too much Pawn Stars in his life, like 15 seasons of it, 
I can say for a fact that those were old nails because he makes a comment on that whenever they bring in certain stuff. He goes, ah, those nails are too new. Yeah. yeah. Like, those were period-accurate, hand-forged nails. Like, at least they had the look of it. That's exactly what you like to see. Excellent. And all of this lead-up to to what's happening here is this, of all the of all the shorts, I think this one, as far as pacing goes, probably feels the most bloated. But I also really respect how much time they took to get to the creature feature. Because again, like like all these stories, they're all very simple premises that you could probably do in five minutes. But the the joy of it is kind of bleeding out this the tension and bleeding out the, the reveal of the creature and the reveal of the monster and opening up the, the crate. I, I, I would say this one of all the features, I think, just felt a little the most bloated in terms of pacing, but not but not bad. I wouldn't say this was poorly paced by any stretch. I just really felt the length of it. This one, at least. Because also, too, we've seen three already. This is number four. You know, got yeah, my eye on the time a little bit. It is longer. This one felt longer than the others, too. It is. it is. It's the longest one. Long. Okay, so it wasn't just. Okay. Yeah. Like, this story is like 38 minutes long. Like, period. Like, it, it felt is a too. long damn story. But I, I feel like it needs it because you have to set up that. You know, Henry's this beleaguered, put-upon husband. You have to set up that Billy is this just shrew of a woman. And I don't like using that description. Yeah. Especially when talking about women. But, I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. She's the worst kind of people. You have to establish that Dex is, you know, potentially messing around with his students. You got to make him kind of a lech. Yep. Because without that, you don't have the the ending right. which is just exactly. so great and um going back to mike and dex in the university when they open the box oh hey there's something shiny looks like it could be emeralds nope <laughs> teeth <laughs> just teeth it's nothing but teeth and hair buddy it's uh, death. <laughs> <laughs> it is some kind of a monster affectionately termed fluffy by the production and the fan base love it but fluffy is a weird ape-like thing that was apparently inspired by the Tasmanian devil by Warner brothers. Yeah. Out of here. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Stephen King actually said, uh, Taz played a part in thinking like, all right, well, I, I want to make this thing creepy. And originally it had like six arms and was kind of weird looking, but they simplified it. They put a guy inside the suit and made it more ape like, which I think does. (laughs) I actually just kind of put it together now. I always thought that this story was kind of Poe-esque. Sure. Like, there's some shades of Castle Amontillado yeah. at the end. Uh-huh. Having a more ape-like creature is very much murders at the murders in the room morgue. Like, I never really thought about it. I kind of actually want to go back and watch this right, you know, as soon as we're done recording this. <laughs> and see how many more Poe parallels I can find in that particular story. Yeah, that's, an, that's a very interesting. I didn't catch that on my watch, through, but you can definitely draw some lines for sure. Fascinating. Huh. Just when I thought all I about the silly creep show, silly, goofy, campy creep show where we get uh, lines to the horror masters. I love it. love it. I love it. I love it. Anyway, Mike, the janitor. Thanks for playing. But uh, we got to send you home now. You get the home version of nothing <laughs> as he is uh, consumed by the creature in the crate. Dex, of course, loses his mind almost immediately and runs into Charlie Garrison, the grad student who's studying down in the basement. Charlie does not believe Dex's story at all, but sure finds a whole lot of blood in the basement. Oh boy, does he. And the box has been put back underneath the stairs by Mm -hmm. the creature. 
Which makes creature sense. Like, the creature went back yeah. to where it felt safe. Yeah. He's been under there for 147 years and nobody bothered him. Great. I got my snack. You know, nom, nom, nom. I got my cake. I'm going to go back underneath the stairs now. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and then, well, he kills Mike. Then then the other, the assistant guy comes and then he gets murdered by the, the who doesn't believe it. He thinks that the, the professor killed the guy. Yeah. But then he finds Mike's gnawed shoe and is like, oh, I want to measure the bite marks on this. I want to discover this. I'm an anthropo- anthropology student. Yes. I want to know more about this creature. I want to measure the bite marks. And as Dex frantically recalls later, he surely got his chance <laughs> because, oh, the gore in this is just, it's cartoonish, oh, but it's icky. Wonderful. So good. Like Fluffy takes a chunk out of his face, complete with teeth marks mm. and just kind of dragging away hunks of flesh. Yeah. Mm. It hits it's- good. Extremely effective and again, just really solid in execution and it looks great. It's just wonderful. Just it, made, it, gave me all the smiles, Ken. I was all I was all in all on board with this one. So great. I love it. But also when, when the guy gets pulled into the crate or the arm does, it made me really think of Jurassic Park. It just did. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I can see that. Help me. Just the way yep. it was, it just you know, and it just said his arm. Well, then his whole body goes in later. But shoot! <laughs> oh man, this could have used the uh, Muldoon here. Muldoon would have had this shit locked down in like five minutes. <laughs> but you don't have your game wardens. All you have are college professors. Yeah, you don't have you don't have guns. You don't have weapons. I mean, but what you do have is a seriously pissed off English professor. And please. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, he leaves a note, but I, it's, it's, you know, cause I saw, you know, he, so, so eventually the, the other professor comes and tells his friend like, Hey, you know, this terrible thing happened. What are we going to do? Or what am I going to do? And he writes, he, he drugs them. Then he writes a note to Billy completely lying, knowing exactly what would get her attention to get her to come down and making it, you know, be like, Oh, you know, he, he slept with some girl and he attacked her and Oh God, it's terrible. Like exactly what would get her attention. What a Machiavellian plot yeah, really. of revenge. Very involved. Oh, oh, my God. Like, the wheels are just turning as soon as Dex starts talking about it. You can see Henry has plotted everything out almost perfectly. And it is a very literary way of revenge. Like, I made a reference to Poe's Cask of Amontillado earlier, and this is basically what it is. Oh, come here. To see this thing, I lied. There's nothing waiting for you here but death. Yep. And Henry sure does get Billy to come to the uh, university. <laughs> sure does. I was amazed that she actually shows up. She, I, I, he almost kind of dares her. Like he knows exactly what to say to get her to come there. I oh, need yeah. you, honey. I need you, honey. You know how I am. I'm completely useless without you. You got to like, come and help me figure this thing out. Here's some tea about somebody you already hate. And. <laughs> He's already established that he's kind of a lech. Well, this time he went too far and there may have been some sexual assault. It's it's just enough just to get her interested. And the whole plan is just to murder her. Yep. But not murder her. So you're not guilty of the murder, even though you technically committed. You you were close enough to involved in the murder. Look, as an English major, you live in the in the margins. All right. (laughs) English, English majors like make their living 
looking outside of things, interpreting things, coming to conclusions based on what something means, what something could mean, opening up lines of new thought, critical thinking. Henry's just doing what comes naturally to people who are trained in the in the, in the literary arts. That's all. <laughs> Love it. I mean, Love he, it. he he goes to the place, he cleans up all the blood, cleans up everything. And then when he gets her to come, he he gets her in the in the closet in the in there. He starts banging her against the crate, saying, "It's dinner time! It's dinner time!" <laughs> yeah, and he starts like slapping her against the crate, screaming, "Poison meat!" Which is great. Uh, but nothing it, happens. Yeah, it takes a bit, and then she's like, "You've gone too far." And then I forget what ha- I'm watching it right now, but I forget what happens. And then finally, it just does come out. Yeah, she, well, she's sitting there screaming at Henry, you know. Called it, oh God, the barnyard exhibit line. Was that here? Yes. Irregular barnyard exhibit, uh, chicken guts, piggy friends, and shit for brains. And, and no good at all in bed is the last oh, thing she says. God. Everyone's the last <laughs> thing she says to him. <laughs> destroys him. And she finally says, I swear to God, if you put your hands on me one more time. And that's when Fluffy wakes up because he's tired of the ruckus. <laughs> Well, he's probably well-fed. He just ate two people. I mean, you know. Yeah, but now he just wants the people to shut up. Yeah. He's, he's, like, he's sleepy. He wants to have a nap. He's like, be quiet already. I just ate. Huh. Well, I'm going to eat again. And <laughs> Adrian Barbeau's got a great scream. Like, a <laughs> fucking great scream. Uh, I like how the line he says to her, she's getting grabbed. Just tell it you to call you Billy. Oh, so good. But they have a good reaction for him. I mean, he goes upstairs and he pretty much throws up out the window because he just, you know, watched his wife get murdered that he, you know, participated in. Yeah. I love that the creature kind of looks at Henry. He's like, hey, thanks, bro. <laughs> I'm hungry. That was great. And, you know, Henry's not having the easiest time with this. He's not dealing. He's not dealing well at all. No. no, no. Like he had this planned out, but it's one thing to plan something. Another thing to do it. But he recovers enough. To, you know, chain up the crate very, very carefully, very carefully Agreed. <laughs> and drop and he's it. very and he's oh. very proud of his chaining job, too. He's very proud. He's like, you should see. <laughs> oh, yeah. You should see the job I did on this. Like, if you mm-hmm. saw how I tied this thing up, you would you would have no concerns whatsoever. Very happy. Very proud of his uh, his job there. <laughs> yeah, no, he is so proud of putting the locks and the two chains on. Like, he didn't go through that much work. I mean. Once he got the chains on, he probably should have secured that crate a whole lot more than what he did. But yeah, like he definitely shouldn't have made sure that that the top wasn't uh, opening at all. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, whatever. I mean, but maybe he's not aware that this creature has been in this crate since 1830, you know, four. like he's not aware of some, maybe he's just stupid. Who knows? Or just in shock because of what's happening. I feel like Dex might have left some things out. In his oh, retelling I, of the story as he's yeah. shivering like a madman. Oh. So this, there was a part here that made me really laugh when he's taking the cart crate out. And he's like, there's nobody here at school. It was completely empty during this time. I had worked at a at an all-girl college at one point in my life during like the end of summer. I worked in the print shop for a couple of months, for like a couple of months, and it was just dead. So I completely like, that makes sense. Oh, 100%. I, I delivered mail on campus when I was in college. And... It, during those times, yeah, it is empty. You will not find anybody unless you're specifically going to an office. Like I used to run down the hallways, <laughs> like sliding on the cart and singing out loud and <laughs> only got caught a couple times. 
they're just not yeah there's nobody there i, I thought that was just you know cool they put that in there and i could relate to it but uh story ends with henry telling dex exactly what happened and did you guys catch the feeling that dex was terrified of henry yeah especially at the end yeah yeah because it's like He's like, oh, wow, like, this is, this is horrifying. I'm, I'm well, afraid of this man now. How calm he is after he just committed, essentially committed murder. They have three dead bodies that are gone. Well, two human beings and Wilma. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost yeah, my but, line when they opened to. That was almost my opening line. he just wants to play chess now. He just like, he's like, yeah, we'll just play chess every, every week. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy for Henry. Good for him. You know, I'm glad he's free now in, you know, in my mind. You know, Henry remarries and he's happy and he and Dex, you know, just have a great friendship. And this never becomes a problem again until the actual ending of the story (laughs) when the crate breaks open and Fluffy gets out. None of these are happy endings. No, no, none (laughs) of them are terrible. There's always a lingering concern after the story ends because like, oh, what? What's what happens next? And oh God, I just I wish there would have been direct sequels to these stories, but <laughs> I also don't want them because they're perfect as they are. Yeah, it's not. It means it's the anthology type thing of a of an old what I'm assuming an old horror comic would have been. Just here's your creepy story, and that's the end of it. Yep, that's pretty much it. And that brings us to our fifth and final full story. They're creeping up on you. Oh, this was hard for me. Oh boy. I so, watched this last uh, night while drinking a big beer and this was just this got me a couple times. There's one point where there's a bug on the screen. And I thought there was a bug on my screen. There was a split second. I'm like, wait a fuck. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a, it's it's the movie. movie. Not, not movie it's a movie. Rich businessman Upton Pratt is not a good person. Oh god, he no. Is a germaphobe. He is running his business like he is just out to murder people. His antics caused the death of someone who he was in the process of buying out. But on this night, Upton Pratt is going to find out that you can't run away from some things. Ugh, sometimes they just <laughs> creep up on you in the end. Oh God. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, I, it's yeah. I don't. I don't hate bugs in general. I've also never had cockroaches, thank God. And just the idea of your apartment being full of cockroaches, just, ugh. My wife has, growing, living in New York for for as long as my wife and I did, we have plenty of experience with vermin. We, we, because you just have no choice. There's really no choice. My, my main apartment in New York was, didn't have roaches. I had a few. I had a couple mice. My wife has, has a few stories about her going to different apartments to view them, you know, with like a realtor. And you you're walking around, opening a cupboard in an apartment in some place, New York, and just roaches streaming from the cupboard, like you would see in a horror movie. And the realtor being oh. very nondeplussed about it, just like, oh, oh, we should New probably York. get that looked at. And mm-hmm. uh, clearly, she did not rent that apartment. <laughs> uh, but roaches really, when they when they get in there, they really do. Obviously, this is sensationalized. I don't think. Yeah. But uh, it's but they are they are stubborn. They can fly. Did you know that a roach can fly? Yes. Yeah. I, I had a flying roach hat when I when the first time a roach flew at me, I I I screamed like a child, and I swore to never. I I was like, I'm gonna move. It's time to move now because I can't live in a place where there's flying roaches. It's uh yeah, roaches are just and they're very hard to kill. 
they they've survived the ice age. That your 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 size fit your size twelve is not gonna do much to a, a roach. When okay, it's I properly thought stepping prepared. on doesn't hurt them, right? No, because <clears throat> they're just they're made of they're made of evil and death <laughs> and 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 satanic properties. They're they are of the occult and they cannot be destroyed through normal means. I'm assuming fire kills them, though, right? Never tried to light one on fire, honestly. Uh, I know when I was a kid in Georgia, we lit fire ants on fire for some reason. Because you're a sensible human being. Fire ants all need to die by fire. They all, they, there's no use for them whatsoever. So, I mean, it wasn't my idea. I was a kid. It was my uncle. Like, yeah, we're going to pour gasoline on this and light it on fire. And I'm like, okay. So, it killed them. But, all right. It I one time stepped on a whole bunch of fire ants barefoot. Ooh, that was a terrible experience. Ooh. I am learning so much about you two in this podcast. Yeah, I hate fire ants. <laughs> I haven't been down in Georgia in years. Anywhere where fire ants live, I, uh, I prefer fair. to stay in the warm, the cold places where they don't thrive. They don't live. <laughs> but no, I've never had cockroaches. To go back, to what I was saying, I did have bed bugs once. That was a terrible experience. I Ugh. did have mice for a while in my house until I figured out where the hole was and plugged it. Now I've been mice free, even though I have four cats that did nothing. But now I'm mouse free. <laughs> I caught them all in it. I have an, I have traps set up. But <sighs> yeah, it. But just roaches in your apartment just. Remind me never to live in New York, Bill. Never, never. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's not great. I did not, like I said, I didn't have roaches in my apartment. Um, I did have a couple of my, I saw a couple of roaches, but it's just you just have. I was one time I was in New York and I was uh drinking. I was at a was I drinking? Well, I was at a restaurant. It was a nice nice ish restaurant, and the water the uh the waiter brings out you know glasses of water for the table. And I look at my water and there's a roach in my water glass, just <laughs> floating in there, just gloop gloop gloop. <laughs> And I think I stayed. I don't think I just, I didn't run screaming. I, I, excuse me. Can I have another water? Because it's just normal in New York, right? You, you can't avoid it. If you have a restaurant, there is going to be, they take care of the bugs and do a lot. Obviously it's not going to be in your food. You just have to accept it as part of living. It's like, can't be prissy about it. Don't they, those, those areas are, are horrifyingly disgusting. And, um, you just don't have a choice. It's just, it's just, you, you def, they definitely have, you know, traps out there for roaches and mice and such. It's just part of it. Just trust the fact that they're not in your food, and I think you'll be fine. I just can't. I mean, I'm going to visit New York someday, so I think I have to. But I, yeah. Should. It's a good time. I won't be living there, so I'll be okay. I'll be at a hotel for a couple, yeah. for maybe a week. Tops Hotels and don't have bugs. Not a single hotel in New York has bugs. Don't you even worry about it, Mike. I, I don't believe that. Is. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> no, don't you worry about it. Just make sure I come home and fumigate all my clothes. Is what you're trying to tell me? <sighs> yeah, just uh, yeah, yeah. Put things on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when I went to Vegas with some uh, from friend, my my wife and her friends, uh, I remember we went to their hotel room and they just had their suitcase look like they just vomited because they just opened them on the floor and all their clothes were everywhere. Oh yeah. So that probably wouldn't work out in New York, huh? That's you'd be right. coming home with with friends. <laughs> you'd 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 have some carriers uh, uh, cruising on home with you. But uh, I so as far as this particular um, short, this is probably my favorite. I think this is my favorite of the five. Couldn't stand this one because it is it hits all of my boxes in that a it's quick and it I love the clinical whiteness of the the clinical um yeah I guess white clean clean room nature of the environment and then the bugs just always popping up against this bright white background is very scary and very effective. I the the titular character, your your uh 
your lead through this is a complete and total garbage human being, and you yes, are just yes. waiting for him to just be dispatched by the bugs. You're just waiting it in. That's what's fun about it. It's you just wait. How is this going to happen? And I can't wait for it to happen. And it pays off on every promise it makes. And it's a very scary idea of unstoppable bugs coming from every every orifice in the apartment. And it's it's just scary. It's it's uh, this is probably my favorite of the five. I'm glad they ended with this because this is a real startler. And um, yeah, so it really feels like a good Twilight Zone episode almost too. Yeah, it does. It, it, it just everything with this guy is so bad. Like you know, you have the thing where he buys his company out. We were talking a little bit, and then the wife calls him, and she's like, "You killed him, you murderer!" And he just starts playing the invisible, you know, violin, and he's just like. And then I like how he's like, well, how did you get my number that so I can fire the guy that gave it to you? I got it from my husband's, you know, book, you <laughs> bastard. Like, well, I can't fire him. <laughs> it's I can't just fire like, him. Oh. so I have yeah. a question for Ken. What is going on? Like, they keep showing stock market things. Is everything crashing? That what's happening here? No, it's just like, I, I think they're using that. The stock market thing is like passage of time, almost like a metronome ticking in the background. Okay. Just to be a noise in the very clinical, you know, environment, uh, because he, he's a bastard man. He makes money with the stock market and he probably owns properties, probably some sort of a slumlord, but you know, he took over uh Pacific Aerodyne, which uh, Norman Kastenmeyer worked for and he killed himself. And his wife, Lenore is not terribly pleased about that, but he's got bigger problems because he's got bugs. <laughs> He, he sure bugs does food too, right? Like, isn't that one? Of the oh scenes? yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. There's bugs in his processed raisin bran. I don't know what's going on there. Like he puts his raisin bran in a food processor, makes it like a fine paste. Like, I don't know, man. Bugs in the cereal and he dumps it out. Like, ugh. and he's calling his landlord to get the bugs taken care of. But there's also a power outage. So the, exterminators can't get to him and the bugs just keep coming up and he had to deal with bugs growing up ups and pratt had to deal with roaches he grew up in hell's kitchen never wanted to deal with bugs again so we got a hermetically sealed germ-proof apartment but that it doesn't do shit for cockroaches <laughs> 3200 a month for he says in here which i did my math what well, it math is i did an inflation calculator that would be ten thousand eighty-two. in today's money. Typical New York penthouse price. Typical. Typical. You know, you guys aren't wrong, are you? No. Not really. And it's it's interesting because uh, also I like the detail of him living in Hell's Kitchen and having to deal with uh, bugs. That is a thing. Hell's Kitchen is notorious for having uh, vermin. And especially in those in that era, because there were lots of restaurants and a lot of the host of the apartments were above restaurants. And you, again, as I said before, if you're in New York and you have a restaurant, you have bugs. Like, there's just something you deal with as a restaurateur in New York. And obviously, they're not crawling in your cornflakes or anything, but, you know, they are there. So that was a nice little detail that I, I thought was, I appreciated it. It's interesting having especially somebody from New York on here for this. Yeah. You can give me, my, you can give me the t- stuff I didn't, I wish I didn't know. It makes me not want to go there so much. <laughs> I'm still going someday, though. I'll still go someday anyway. I'll yeah. just be more careful. That's great. Than I was in other other places. Like, I'm actually trying to go to New Orleans next year, I think. So, New Orleans or Savannah, Georgia, I want to go to. I want to travel somewhere. So, I have to. No, this is... Uh, I mean, that spray, I guess the bug spray does kill them. If I'm they get enough of them on it. Or they get, they get enough of it on them, yeah. 
you know, it's like your typical nondescript bug spray. It's just in a stainless steel container. But you know what it is. They didn't <laughs> want to pay licensing to somebody. That's fair. When everything blacks out and all of a sudden all like even way more bugs come, that part was like, Ugh. Well, if there's one thing we know about roaches is they don't like the light. They scatter yes. when the lights turn on. Yes. I didn't think about that. So it makes sense that even though he's seeing so many, once the lights go out, there's even more. And yep. they start pouring in. So he has to get away from them. And he goes into his sealed bedroom and punches in an electronic code. There's an airlock on the damn door. Yep. <laughs> so he's safe. No worries. Until he lifts up the sheet. And there's a bunch of bugs. Whole bunch. Not good. <sighs> Bed o bugs. So the last thing Ups and Pratt hears is the phone call from Lenore Katzenmeyer saying, I hope you die in the most raspy, vindictive voice ever. You kind of got to wonder, did she have anything to do with it? Well, because after he dies, you also see some, you, there's like all, when the room, when they, when they show back the room, there's no bugs at all yep. for a second. There's for- no bugs at all in the room. Until there are. <laughs> they burst out of his body. So I was wondering, like, was he hallucinating this? Yep. Nope. Nope. They just, they made a nice little cocoon or a little dwelling place and ate him from the, ate, ate his body. All of it. Oh, it is. The special effects are done so well, though. Like, when they have him, them burst out of his body. Uh, ah, yeah. really fun. Really oh. fun. Like, Really cool the way they were able to do that. That was actually just uh, tissue paper with uh, flesh-colored makeup on it. That's really That's cool. That's how they burst out of the chest so easily. Oh, they're also real bugs, unfortunately. So. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The, the shooting location was infested because they oh. tried to keep track of all of them, but a bunch of them got away. Like uh, 10,000 got oh. away. Oh, yeah. There's like 20,000, I think I read. 20,000 cockroaches in that scene. So somewhere, wherever they shot this, is now infested with cockroaches for the rest of the time? No, it's been knocked down. It's oh, not a place anymore. Good. That's probably what should have happened right afterwards. <laughs> yeah, there was there was some trouble from the uh, from the producers on that one. But, you know, Upson Pratt got his. You can't keep bugs contained like that. Like, you oh. look at a Temple of Doom. I know they when they did that bug scene, except in their case, they kept losing bugs because they kept eating each other or getting crushed or just whatever the hell happened. Oh, God. Just see. Okay. I don't get it. This doesn't bother me, but that scene in Temple of Doom bothers me. That scene doesn't bother me, but this whole thing bothered me. Weird. It's interesting to uh, to figure out what drives people. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 drives your fear and what, bo- like, I j- apparently don't like. I mean, I know I don't like bugs. I mean, I in my house. I don't mind bugs outside. I used to collect bugs when I was a kid. I used to have fun looking under logs and still like it. But in my house, I just, that type of bug just drives me crazy. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And then it then it cuts to the very end, which we get a scene from the beginning of the movie where now it's the next day. The garbage men are coming. They're picking up the garbage and the comic book is on the ground. And the guy picks it up. He's like, ah, you know, comic book. I'll keep this. And the, uh, one, I have a question. One of the, the garbage guys, is that Tom Savini? Yep. Guy with the black okay. mustache is Tom Savini. I recognize him because of Halloween Wars. This is a baking show they have once a year. That's on Max. or was on Max. And I watched eight, ten seasons of it. So <laughs> uh, why would the guy's just yelling at the garbage can like, swallow your food. I'm like, what the fuck? But yeah, it's just there. You know, people will bond with anything. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, we have a movie called The Brave Little Toaster. People personify their Roombas. Like, it, it doesn't surprise me that garbage <laughs> men are a little bit, you know, have gotten a kind of affection toward their truck that yeah. they use all the time. I, I do like when they open the book, like, oh, like a voodoo doll. Oh, somebody sent in for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. And that cuts away to Billy. Billy and his father. Dad's getting ready for the day. And, you know, suddenly his neck starts hurting. And cut to Billy upstairs, gleefully stabbing the voodoo doll of his father with a pin right in the neck area. Mm-hmm. And that slowly turns into a comic book drawing, which is the cover of the next issue of Creep Show, which is just the best way to end this. It really is. Oh, I love it. I mean, he's essentially murdering his father. I don't know if he's, I don't uh, know if there's murder. He's uh. just tormenting. He's just, he's going to be tormenting his dad for eternity, evidently. Yeah. His father was a piece of shit, so. Yeah, he deserved everything he was getting. So well, that's why God made fathers. That's God. That's why God made creep. <laughs> took me a second. <sighs> that's why God created a creep show and voodoo dolls. Yep. The opportunity to torment those who torment you. Yeah. Great. ending. again, all this comeuppance is great. Just it's an entire movie full of comeuppance and it's it's wonderful. I know we've been talking for a while and I promise you I could talk for even longer about this. We haven't even touched on so many things that I know about this movie. And, you know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to do an addendum, maybe maybe there's a creep show addendum that's that you could do, perhaps. As I stated to you in the virtual green room, I'm not sure if I've said it here yet on the show. I have the flu and I'm starting to fade. So, <laughs> yeah, no, we're almost done. I have to go to work. Shortly, <laughs> I'm starting to fade a little so. bit. Yeah, I think we're ready for the usual wrap up. All right, uh, let's go to shelf stacker box and we'll get the negative out of the way. So I'll go first. I'm going to put this in the box. I enjoyed it mostly, but I will never watch this again because it fucking creeped me out way too much. And I'm good. Like, I didn't even buy this. I just rented it. I'm like, you know what? I watched it twice during my rental period. Once to cover it. Once while we talked about it, I was mostly watching it. I'm good. I don't think I need to see this a third time ever in my life. So, but it's not, it's not for me, but. I do appreciate it for what it is, but it's going to the box because it just creeped me the fuck out. And I'm, I'm good. And you, Bill? Uh, this is gonna. This is a perfect stack movie for me. I, I can't put this on the shelf like I'm sure our esteemed colleague is going to do momentarily. But this is great. I really had a great time. This is, this is fun. This is a great example of how fun horror can be and the value of being creepy. Like the, the emotion of creepy is a really cool one. It's one we don't get very much anymore. We're always going for horror or scary or terrifying or disturbing or unsettling. The The emotion of creepy taps into something from childhood that I think is very um, powerful and it's something we don't get a lot of. So I really enjoyed my time with Creepshow. I had a, I had a blast and uh, while you know, not everything is successful here in my opinion, you know, some things go longer than others and some of the humor doesn't work or it does work. In the At the end of the day, it's a very good encapsulation of what the joy of those early EC comic books are. And it's it, they did a phenomenal job of just capturing that. And when I read, I was reading Rotten Tomatoes reviews, a lot of the negative reviews were like, well, it's not, it's not adult. It's not, it's not very adult. And that's the point. They, those, those reviewers missed the entire point of this. It's not supposed to be. This is supposed to be a fun, creepy, spooky, uh, ghoulish, and at times very intense and scary. 
So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. My time with it. Can't put it on the shelf, but definitely in the stack. I, I would trot this out once a year for sure. Okay. And Mr. Kenneth. Obviously, I'm going to put it on the shelf. Like I said at the beginning, this is my very favorite movie of all time ever. I watch this movie multiple times a year. Uh, when I'm feeling sick, this is my comfort movie. It has been my comfort movie for decades. Is it a perfect movie? No, it's not. I can acknowledge that this movie is not without its flaws. There are so many flaws here. Like, I have two lists. I have a favorite list and I have a best list. Is Creepshow even on the best list? No. But it is number one with a bullet on my favorite because this movie is a warm hug to me. And I have introduced so many people to this movie. Like, throughout my life, I've made so many people sit down and watch the VHS with me or the DVD with me or the Blu-ray with me. I am, it is my life's mission to share this movie. And I'm really glad that I got to share it with you guys today. This is going on my shelf because I will continue to trot it out whenever anybody is in need of seeing creep show. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <sighs> All right. And this will release in early April, by the way, Bill, before I ask you my next question, where can people find you at early April? Not April, sorry, early February. Early February. Okay, I was gonna say early April. Boy, oh boy, you're really get, you're really building up the uh, the backlog. Uh, I, I do a podcast. It, but no, this is early. February. No, that's fair. I do a podcast entitled "The Gamer Looks at 40, 40. By the time this releases, I will still be on hiatus, but the hype train will be a rolling for the return on March fourth. Uh, the show is currently on hiatus. It's allowing me to take a little bit of a breather, of which, of course, I just get sick. So my body's like, "Oh, great! This is a perfect opportunity for you to just to get ill." But yeah, no, it's a, it's a show that's a nostalgic romp through different uh, eras of video games, the different game series and systems. Uh, we'll be opening with a couple of uh, hope, hopefully really cool interviews in March. Are going to be one on one, and then we're moving into Final Fantasy. We'll be doing a full series on Final Fantasy. It's going to take probably about two and a half months, three months, and then we're going to roll right into Metroid and probably right into the Wii, which I find to be a fascinating piece of hardware. That doesn't get as much love as I think it deserves because it didn't do a lot to deserve that love in the first place. Yeah, it's uh, so a gamer looks at 40. There's lots of back episodes. Check them out. And uh, thank you, as always, for the opportunity to plug. Of course. And I also want to give a shout out to my awesome intern, outro crazy Helena at Hell Hasphere. You can follow her on TikTok, Instagram, Twitch. You'll see a link to her link tree in the show notes. Definitely go check her out. Want to support the show? We do a Patreon. Little dog vote in our Patreon polls. We have one every month, so and you get to affect the show and you help me out. So two great things. And if you, please join our Discord, you'll see a link in the show notes for that. Join us. You can chat with us, suggest things for the show, answer questions because I do post in the questions comments there every month. Also, stuff so we go do that. Please and then please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, TikTok, Squirrel Videos, and YouTube audio only. But we are all those things you can follow. Games my mom found. And I think that's everything I need to say. So we will see you guys all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Until next time, kiddos. Mike, turn your games down. <laughs>